Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 249, recorded on July 13th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. Well, if you thought rolling distributions were just a fad, that misconception was laid to rest this week. Google made quite the splash with a comprehensive blog post on how they ended up deploying rolling Linux desktops. Now, more than 15 years ago, Google chose Ubuntu as the base for their internal Linux bin. They liked that it was easy to use, and they they noted it had, quote, lots of fancy extras. And of course, they went with the LTS because they valued that release cycle. But as time went on, they discovered challenges, and even an LTS cycle comes to an end. And that eventually meant they'd need to upgrade their fleet of over 100,000 devices before the end of life date of Ubuntu. And as you might expect, Google has some unique and complex workloads that were sensitive to large operating system upgrades. Inevitably, Google ended up building a whole bunch of internal tools to manage all the edge cases. Writing on their blog, quote, For each OS cycle, we had a rather large version bump in major packages that could require significant changes to software configuration. To automate this process, we wrote an untended in-place upgrade tool that took care of a lot of the common problems. This automation-focused approach meant that most of the Google employees didn't have to manually upgrade their machines by reinstalling them and recreating all their configurations. But as most custom tools are, it wasn't perfect. And it still took nearly a year to upgrade their entire fleet. And there was also typically a long tail of special use case upgrades that could sometimes drag on for several years. As you can probably imagine, just managing the process of doing the upgrades was a lot of overhead to say nothing of doing the actual upgrade work. Amen. And so enters a new internal Google distribution. Known as GLinux Rotate, it's based on Debian testing. One of their primary aims was to remove the two-year upgrade cycle and instead spread out smaller updates and thus spread out the load on the team throughout time instead of one big old push every two years. And don't underplay the significance of a new distribution like this. This move is considerable. And Google put a lot of research into this. They write on the post, quote, We considered going with other Linux distributions, but ended up choosing Debian because we wanted to offer a smooth in-place migration. This also included considerations towards the availability of packages in Debian, the large Debian community, and also the existing internal packages and tooling that we were using that were already in the Debian format. While the Debian stable track follows a roughly two-year jump between releases, Debian testing track works as a rolling release. Google also notes that the testing release cadence means they get much more granular changes to work with, while also being able to provide the latest software to their engineers without having to wait for the next LTS. And reading through the post, you get a sense that that was a friction point for Google staffers on GLinux. They wanted access to fresher and fresher packages. And of course, no new Google effort would be complete without some brand new tooling. So to manage all of these new complex tasks, like building the upstream packages that are from source, Google's team has created a new workflow system called Sieve. Whenever a new version of, say, a new Debian package is detected, they start a build. Then they run the entire thing through a suite of virtualized tests on various configurations. And then once all the checks are passed, they merge that new package with their local latest pool of packages. 
And it seems through that effort, they've already flagged a common issue. Writing, quote, One issue that we've run into a few times, for example, is that in upstream Debian, packages are usually built in Debian Unstable. After a few days, those already built packages migrate over to Debian testing. In some cases, it's possible, however, that a build dependency is stuck in Unstable, and thus building within testing might not yet be feasible. Google wraps up the whole post with some really positive arguments for moving their organization to a rolling desktop. It's quite the read in some sense. And they say in there that the life of the G Linux team member just looks a lot different now, with significant reductions in the overhead for a release. And they also say there's just no more need for this multi-stage alpha, beta, and GA phase they used to have to go through for new LTS releases, while then also simultaneously chasing down older machines they were still running old, out-of-date Ubuntu releases. That process is done now. They also highlight that this move has dramatically improved Google's security stance by operating their fleet much closer to upstream releases. Plus, the new testing system they set up to integrate a rolling release has resulted in improved stability for their desktop users. More secure, more stable? Who doesn't like that? Indeed. And the cherry on top here is they even encourage other organizations to give this serious consideration. They write with a little bit of party advice saying, consider balancing the needs of the company against upgrade agility. Being in control of our own moving target and baseline has helped to slow down whenever we encountered too many problems and broke any of our team's SLOs. Our journey has ultimately reinforced our belief that incremental changes are better manageable than Big Bang releases. Sticking with some industry news for a moment, Red Hat named a new CEO this week. Matt Hicks is stepping into the role, a Red Hat veteran and currently head of products and technologies. Matt Hicks will be replacing Paul Cormer, the company's CEO and president since 2020. As of this recording, we're still trying to find out where the former CEO is headed. There have been some rumors for months that he may retire soon. But as of now, all we know is he seems to be staying with Red Hat but moving to a position that is, quote, a somewhat less demanding position. Cormier is known as one of the early leading voices there. Back in 2003, he advocated for Red Hat to leave the consumer market and instead focus on becoming a full-blown business Linux. A move that still kind of stings to this day, but was clearly a money-making idea. Yeah, you're not alone in thinking that. Cormier had said in 2012 that many of the developers at Red Hat were upset about that move, stating in an interview with ours, quote, Engineers at the time didn't care about a business model. They wanted to work on Red Hat Linux. We had some level of turmoil inside the company with going to this new model. Some engineers left, but more stayed. Ultimately, I think Cormier was pretty well respected in the company. As for the new CEO, Hicks joined Red Hat in 2016 as a developer, and he said in a note to Red Hat employees that he'd, quote, never imagined that my career would lead me to this moment. If I had followed my initial path, not raised my hand for certain projects, or shied away from contributing ideas and asking questions, I might not be here. He also seems to know how to play the corporate game. In a statement, he flexed those skills a bit, saying, quote, together, IBM and Red Hat can really lead a new era of hybrid computing. Red Hat has the technological expertise and the open-source model. IBM has the reach. 
moving ahead, the former CEO will still be around. Cormier will continue to work alongside IBM chairman and CEO Arvind Krishna. Both the former CEO Cormier and the new CEO Hicks will report to Krishna going forward. Twenty twenty two is turning into an impressive year for Linux hardware, especially Linux first hardware. I mean, just off the top of my head, a few standouts so far are the Steam Deck, the HP Dev One, the System seventy six Slimmer Pro, and now the KDE Slimbook Four laptop. Yeah, this new plasma first laptop features an AMD Ryzen seven fifty seven hundred U processor, and it's available with either a fourteen inch or a 15.6-inch screen. That smaller model sells for just over $1,000 USD, and the 15.6-inch model sells for just under $1,100. And important to note about what you're getting for those prices, a portion of the proceeds is donated to KDE Development. Yeah, and they uh, really promote it as a Wayland first experience, which I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And this week, System76 teased an updated launch keyboard light a smaller version of their fully hackable mechanical keyboard. It's a 67% sized keyboard, which System76 calls portable. The launch light features the ability to customize the layout and lighting in firmware via System76's keyboard configurator utility. It's got a USB Type-C 2.0 port, of course, System76's open-source QMK firmware, and a nice selection of key switch options. And as you would hope, the firmware is upgradable with FWAPD from your Linux system. System76 says that orders should be going live by the time you hear this episode. Sticking with hardware for just a moment longer, we often speak quite highly of AMD's efforts to upstream their graphics driver code. And that's great for those of us on a fairly up-to-date distribution. But what about those enterprise distro users stuck on old versions of everything? Well, AMD is on it. You're just going to have to wait a bit longer. Yeah, but you're probably used to that by now anyways. The good news is AMD is actually hiring to fix this problem, which, let's be honest, that's the real long-term fix here. The new job position with AMD states, quote, we are looking for experienced software engineers to enhance, build, packaging, and install. Successful candidates will utilize their knowledge of Linux application development or Linux system administration to become key contributors to the ongoing development of AMD GPU drivers for current and future hardware. Experience with multiple Linux distributions and use of multiple package managers such as RPM, apt, yum, DNF, zipper, etc. We'll have a link to the job posting in the show notes. You might have noticed some consternation online this week over a new Lenovo model being limited to Windows only, at least by default. Well, Matthew Garrett has written a post that gets into an apparent Microsoft policy change around secured core PCs that makes it more difficult to boot Linux on these systems. It doesn't just complicate things for Linux users, though. This new policy also restricts the system from using any drivers that are stored in Flash on Thunderbolt devices, which means eGPU setups may be a bit more complicated, as will, say, netbooting off a Thunderbolt-attached NIC. Gerd ends the post, the call to Microsoft to be transparent about the justification for this policy change. The post is well worth your time, 
especially if you might be considering a new Linux laptop sometime. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Give it a read and tell us what you think. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit so you can try it out. And you go there to support the show. $100 means you can really try it out. Linode is easy to use and powerful with great performance, 11 data centers around the world. And they're making our trip to go see JPL, to take a tour down at JPL and meet up with our West Coast listeners. They're making it possible. And the truth about Linode is they are really aggressively priced. With pricing 30 to 50% cheaper than the other major hyperscalers that want to lock you into their crazy platform. I mean, the way to talk about Linode is to talk about really how they are everything those platforms are not. You know, the largest hyperscalers, they want to present themselves as kind of like a one-stop shop, inviting you to become wholly dependent on them as a single source for everything you might need. But of course, you know that means lock-in. Linode, they let you build as you need. Their services are straightforward, simple to use, and they work with your existing management platforms like Kubernetes, Terraform, and Ansible. And they have great services like S3 compatible object storage. And it's all backed by real human support. So with pricing 30 to 50% cheaper, 11 data centers around the world, a cloud dashboard that beginners and pros can use, the only thing missing is a great opportunity to try it and really see what I'm talking about. So go to linode.com slash landing, take advantage of that opportunity. Go get $100 in 60-day credit on your new account, and you support the show. linode.com slash land. And thank you to Collide. Collide.com slash land. Collide is an endpoint security solution that uses the most powerful untapped resource in IT, end users. And when you're trying to achieve security goals, either for yourself or maybe a third-party audit, The conventional wisdom is to treat every single device like Fort Knox. Old school device management tools like MDMs, well, they force disruptive agents onto employees' devices and slow down performance. I resisted that type of software whenever I was a staffer. It turns the IT admins into enemies of the users, and it also creates its own security problems. Let's be real. And I think it creates this sort of shadow habits for users to avoid IT detecting things. So Collide just does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. Collide will automatically notify your team when their devices are insecure and give them step-by-step instructions on how to solve the problem. By reaching out to employees via a friendly Slack DM and educating them about company policies, Collide can help you build a culture in which everyone contributes to security because everyone understands and knows why they should be doing it. And for IT admins, well, Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet, if they're on a Mac, if they're on Windows, and of course, Linux. So you can see at a glance which employees have encrypted setups, which ones have up-to-date OSs or not, which ones might be using a password manager, and it's really simple to generate reports so you can prove compliance to your auditors, customers, or, of course, leadership. So that's Collide. User-centered, cross-platform endpoint security for teams that slack. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash LAN to find out how. And if you go to that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag that includes a free t-shirt, too. So that's k-o-l-i-d-e dot com slash LAN. 
collide.com slash plan. We wrap things up today with two serious Xorg security disclosures. These issues are due to out-of-bounds accesses within the Xorg server and can lead to local privilege escalation on systems where the Xorg server is running with elevated permissions. It can also lead to remote code execution when SSHX forwarding is in use. The issues are tracked as CVE 2022-2319 and 2320. Both deal with the Xorg server's XKB keyboard extension not properly validating input, which is what can trigger the server to write to out-of-bounds memory addresses. I, of course, love SSHX forwarding, but the good news is Xorg Server 21.1.4 is now available. It does include the fixes. It was released on July 12th, 2022. But this kind of highlights something that Wes and I have been uneasy about for a while, and that is the remaining prevalence of Xorg. It still ships as default on several popular distributions. And I think it's sort of been suggested that Xorg is completely dead, and that's obviously been exaggerated because this past weekend, a longtime Xorg contributor, Alan Coopersmith of Oracle, issued many updates to various old, seldom-maintained Xorg projects. And while that's very nice to see, make no mistake, there's basically no one working on Xorg. A point that developers seem to be trying to make over and over. I mean, these updates came from a single developer who spent some of his own free time on the weekend making it happen. Yeah, and it's not like the Xorg project is onboarding new, excited developers to keep things going. The folks that are around have been around for a really long time. And we've been told off the record by some of them that anyone who's left that still spends serious time on this stack has moved to Wayland, and the developers are just sort of waiting for people to figure it out. Yeah, this is admittedly something of a tricky position for the Linux desktop to be in, something that app image developer Pro Bono has been documenting on GitHub. I mean, from a user's perspective, there really are still quite a few important features that are just still missing. Yep, he touches on things like auto key not working, many screen recording applications that don't work, and issues that affect projects like AppImage amongst a long list of other problems. And none of them are really wrong, especially from an end-user standpoint. It does seem like something is just broken. But I can't really help but feel that, well, they don't matter in the grand scheme of things. The free software desktop is not a product made by a company. Sometimes we live through transitions, and these transitions have regressions. And maybe you call that a community development tax, but I still think it's a fair trade. It's always been the best policy to follow upstream wherever it's going. It's just the reality and the life of a long-term Linux user. You always go where upstream is going. Yeah, I mean, what other choice do we have here, right? I mean, if, if folks feel strongly enough in the community that they'd like to continue supporting and maintaining X, then that could work, right? We, we maintain that power in the open source world, but pending any moves there, what else can we do, right? You can keep using X, and I think that helps, right? It's not like X is going anywhere and it's, it's not broken, but we should probably be, be honest about some of the limitations of X, some of the reasons that Wayland was necessary. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree it is nice that Xorg is still around, but the argument that we should just keep it and fix it 
sort of ignores the reality that if Linux ever really got to a, a really large user share, say even the size of macOS, the vulnerabilities in the Xorg stack would become a constant plague for Linux, and it would probably tarnish Linux's reputation as a secure platform. We got serious issues here. Like, for example, one of the reasons AutoKey doesn't work on Wayland is because under Wayland, arbitrary applications in your GUI can't just simply monitor all of the desktop input for every single application. They can't see the input for the other apps. That's a good security practice, but it does break some applications like AutoKey. And these things won't get fixed until, you know, there's a critical mass. And so that's where we find ourselves. We've had Wayland for, what, 13-some years now? It's still not maybe where it needs to be. But what other choices do we have than to just push forward? If we don't start trying, if we don't start making it work and complaining, adding support, lobbying to fix the issues that need to get fixed, how will we ever progress? This is one of the things, though, that I really like about the free software community and open-source software development. The code and the conversation is out in the open. So as users, we can see what's coming. We are aware of what the future holds and we can make decisions. We can choose different distributions and desktop environments that suit our preferences accordingly. And it also makes for a fascinating thing to watch and just discuss the progress on. So of course, we're going to keep our eye on all of this and everything else in the world of Linux and open source software. So be sure you go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes and linuxactionnews.com slash contact to let us know what we got wrong. Would you like a factory tour? Go check out jupiter.tube and find the live video versions of some of your favorite JB shows and see how they get put together. As for this show, well, don't worry. We'll be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week. <laughs> <laughs>